0: Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with evangelist David Diga Hernandez and a message about spiritual growth. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, why don't you give us a follow at PC Paramount? And then be sure to check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Constantly been updated. Enjoy this message. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? You may be seated, blessed to be here with you tonight at our home church, Praise Chapel Paramount, and welcome to those of you watching online. We're very excited for what the Lord is going to do tonight. I have a word I want to minister, and then I want to leave, I don't know how much time I'll I'll spend on the message here tonight. I do want to leave some time to minister to you, and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit really touches our hearts through his word. Can we just lift our hands just for a moment? You can remain seated, but lift your hands. Everyone just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit for just a few seconds. Father, we honor you, and we bless you, and we thank you. And Lord, we pray that as we approach your word in humility, that you would begin to soften our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Lower our defenses and our excuses, Help us to receive your word. Help us to be honest with how we compare to your word. We ask that in the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. Amen. So I want to minister tonight on spiritual growth. And I'm going to give you seven keys that will help you to grow spiritually. Now, as of late, there has been this Issue we've been dealing with online, I'll share a little bit about it. Um, just recently, we had to start doing some spiritual warfare teachings. Now, the way we schedule our ministry content is months and months in advance. So, if you hear a sermon that we released like on a, last Monday, that was probably recorded. It could be anywhere from three to six months before that actual day it was released. Now, we usually like to do our spiritual warfare teaching in October when everyone's talking about. All of that dark stuff, and it actually makes for faster clicks and greater views. But um, somehow our schedule worked out to where we didn't get a chance to really address it then. So we just started addressing spiritual warfare on our channel recently, and I'll tell you, I've never been cussed out by so many Christians. I'm I'm dead serious. I am not even joking with you. It's 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 uh, it's it's astounding to me how people respond to things. Uh, when you confront them with the truth, and so we've been very bold about uh, things with spiritual warfare, um, and 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 I've been I've been really and Steve, you've been with me with three and a half hour, four hour courses that people stay on, and we've been dealing with a lot of these things because there's let me just be real with you, there's a lot of superstitious thinking that has become woven in spiritual warfare, and what they're doing is they're taking New Age teachings and tried to, trying to fit them into the scripture. Come on, uh, if you've ever heard of things like soul ties, you know where soul ties come from? Not in the Bible. That comes from a New Age occult teaching on how we have tethers to ourselves on the different parts of our body, like the chakra, and, and that we have tethers, and that when you, when you, when you meet with someone or you know, connect with someone in an ungodly way, that you're tied to them. Now, when I started talking about that, you know, there are people who've built their whole ministries on 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 breaking curses that you know, I I ask, how could how could you possibly curse what God has blessed? And so, you know, we, 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 we come at it with truth and, and there's people who've built things on lies, and now that we're exposing them, people are getting very upset with us. I mean we're we're coming at it saying, look, you don't need some special, special ritualistic prayer where you have to go back to year seven and six and five and renounce this and renounce that and list this and list that and talk to the demon for three hours. It's as simple as saying, I plead the blood of Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I break this thing. The problem is, problem is, we've, we've, it's become so a part of what, we've, what we believe about spiritual warfare that it's created a stir. And and my simple question has always been, well, where is that in the Bible? And they, 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 their response is always, well, what you're saying just doesn't sit right with me. And I tell them, well, what Jesus said didn't sit right with the Pharisees, but that doesn't make it any less true than it was. Whenever you confront something with truth, there's a reaction to it. So I say all that to say, I've noticed a trend in the Christian world, in the modern Christian world, and this this trend is to blame exterior circumstances, to blame exterior seasons, to blame... Exterior occurrences rather than take responsibility for the discipline that it takes to practice the faith and and really that's the crux of the whole thing i mean which is easier to say you got a devil and you go home and pray this prayer and then you'll be good to go or you have a discipline issue with your flesh and so so when when you start to when you start to hit at the heart of it People get upset at you for simplifying what religion complicated. Well, we could start a spiritual warfare course. We're not going to do that tonight. It literally went for like eight hours. It was an eight-hour teaching. And and we, I had to go through and just break all those mindsets and just use the scripture to show them how a lot of these things we've been taught are just wastes of time and actually... Uh, prohibit you from finding freedom and people become their new addiction they go from being addicted to whatever the world offers to now they're addicted to deliverance sessions They're, they're addicted to prayer they're addicted to experiences and it just produces this reliance upon something that we should never rely upon now again I say all that to say I think what's missing in the church is the basic tenets of spirituality the basic practices of spirituality. And often we blame on the devil what is our own fault. I mean, think about Paul the apostle. Talks about how he was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked. he He knew what it was to live in poverty. Modern day preachers today would tell Paul that he had a spiritual curse on his life. It got real quiet in here. When, in fact, Paul the Apostle was being processed and refined by the trials that he was facing that come and trials will come. Here's what my, my, my thought is, and here's what, here's what concerns me. Is that because of this mindset wanting to blame the exterior, we get superstitious thinking in the spiritual um, warfare teachings. We get We we get really weird in our thinking, even in our politics and in our cultural perspectives. And my concern is this. I think this season has revealed who was really planted and who had shallow roots. And I don't say that by any means to shame anyone. I say that because it's a burden on my heart and I've noticed there's been a great uprooting there's been a great falling away. There are people who are showing what their trust was in all along. And part of my concern is many of the churches that are going along with the systems of the world will be the very same churches that go along with the system of the Antichrist when it has fully come. There'll always be a clever sounding reason as to why we should obey man rather than God. There'll always be human wisdom you think of these things like people blaming exterior circumstances, like people blaming demons for what, a, what is a problem with the flesh. You think of these people falling away because of a little government pressure. You think of people altering their views because of those who want to so-called uh, deconstruct the faith. They want to re-examine the scripture. They want to go again and, and say, well, what does it mean for modern times? It means what it's always meant. Truth doesn't change. And so I look at all these different things going on in the church and I observe all of these weak points. And I by no means am saying I have no weak points. I have plenty. Just ask my wife. But what I am saying is that we need to get serious about growing our spiritual roots or within the next three to five years, you won't be here. That is my concern. That in the next three to five years, as this intensifies, it's not going to get any easier. I'll tell you, I'll just spoiler alert. It is not going to get any easier. The pressure against God's people will become more intense. And if you don't have spiritual roots, then when your family turns their back on Jesus, so will you. When your friends turn their back on Jesus, so will you. When you're considered a bigot for following Jesus, what will you do? Today, the systems of the world are canceling people for political views. Tomorrow, it will be religious. That same system is eroding. And ultimately, the goal is singular. To silence the church of the living God. It's what this is all about. It's time to open your eyes. That's what this is all about. They want to silence the churches. I was talking to a friend of mine up in Northern California. He's running for a Senate seat in California. And he was telling me that he was able to look at some of the bills that are being passed in California ahead of time. Some of the things they're talking about forming. And he said this to me. He said, I didn't realize this before. He goes, but looking back over the last year and looking at what I'm seeing now, he goes, it's become very clear to me that the agenda has always been to shut the church down and they have no intention of allowing churches to open again. They want it to be permanent. Guys, this is a fact and these are the facts of what we're facing today. So I don't say this to scare you. I say this to prepare you. You have to be prepared to stand in the face of a culture that's going to demonize you for your faith, there's going to come a day that when you say Jesus is Lord on your social media feed, it will cost you your job. People will call for not only you to lose your job, people who process your payments, your bank will say, sorry, we can no longer service you because you've been deemed, and they'll, they'll find a label for you. I don't know if this is in the next 10 years, 30 years, how many generations, how quickly this will happen, and we pray God move in this world and push back against this darkness, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. So I'm not speaking these things as if they're certain tomorrow, but they are certain at some point. And the question is, will you be prepared when the pressure comes against you? Will you be prepared When your family says to you, I can't talk to you because I just can't believe I'm associated with someone who believes this, this, and this. Faith in God and his word is the root by which you remain in him. If you allow your root to go deep, your spiritual roots to be fed, your spiritual roots to be watered, you will see life. You will experience strength. But if you neglect the basics of the faith, if you neglect growing your faith, if you neglect drawing closer to Jesus, you will fade away when hard times come. So I'm going to give you seven keys right now. we got to take this very seriously, church. We're going to give seven keys tonight to growing your faith. And and, and growing spiritually, it's somewhat of an enigma because it is God's responsibility. Jesus talks about abiding in the vine, that if you just abide, you will grow. And this is true. But this doesn't mean that no responsibility is on you. For what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to be in him? Number one, you want to grow your faith. Keep in mind, if you're not growing, you're regressing. You want to build your faith. You want to grow strong spiritually. Number one, you have to learn to endure trials. If you heard that the promise of the gospel was a perfect life, perfect health, Perfect finances, perfect family, and all of your dreams will come true. You get the house and the white picket fence you were lied to. Now, I believe God blesses us. I believe in divine healing by the Holy Spirit. I believe in financial prosperity as is taught in the Word. I do not believe poverty is a virtue, otherwise, heaven would be full of poverty and not riches. I I, I understand that there are blessings. I understand God restores marriages. God does miracles. These are all wonderful things. But then there are things that come against us that God doesn't take from us like in Paul's situation, but rather instead he gives you the grace to endure and become stronger. Go to James chapter 1. I want to show you something here. I want to show you the fact that trials refine your faith. Trials are not just unavoidable, they are necessary to your spiritual growth. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, notice there it says when, not if. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That's the part I find difficult, if I'm just being honest with you. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete. That word perfect there simply means mature, spiritually mature and complete, needing nothing. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7 say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ in other words when Christ returns and you present your faith to him it will either be shown to be genuine or it will be shown to be fake. Now the Bible talks about Christians facing the judgment of Christ in a different way than non-believers. The Bible says that on that day of judgment, our works will be burnt up if they are not built appropriately. And then it says that the one who has his works tested will either receive a reward for what remains or he'll enter heaven, but barely escaping hellfire. So, so here's what the Lord showed me, because I saw in the scripture that here in First Peter, I said, Lord, there you are testing our faith on earth by fire, and then there you are testing our faith by fire at the day of judgment. So which is it? The Lord told me, it's your choice. You can either... Endure the trials today. Have what you do for him tested by fire. Have it purified. Have it refined. Have it removed of mixture. Or you can stand before God on that day and discover whether or not what you had was genuine. The fire will test you either in this side of eternity or in the next. But let me warn you. If it is tested on that side, the judgment is final. The sorrow that you'll feel when you recognize that there could have been a reward, that's a biblical reality. But when you endure trials, your faith is tested. Some of us don't endure them, some of us avoid them. We avoid the trials because we don't want to live an uncomfortable life. And that's fine, you'll probably still make it to heaven. Your salvation doesn't depend on your works, but your reward in heaven does. A refiner, when purifying gold, will put the gold in the blaze. And as that fire burns, all of the impurities rise to the surface. All of that which pollutes that gold become burned away by the refiner's fire. And that refiner knows that the gold is purified when he can see his reflection in that gold. The same is true of the spiritual gold, which is your faith. The refiner, the Father God, knows your faith has been purified when he can see himself in you. The purification. I often tell the Lord, and I say it all the time on the whole, but I say to the Lord, there are so many ways. Every time I read the Bible, I go, Lord, there are so many ways I'm not like you. Help me. Remove the impurities. Remove the mixture of the world. How does he do it? He does it through trials. Do you realize that when you face a trial, your patience is strengthened? When you face a trial, not only that, when you face a trial, God humbles you. There's a humility that you walk in when you face something that was mentally, emotionally, or physically challenging. When you face the fire... That which is in you of the Spirit is refined, it's perfected, it's strengthened. Number two, you want to grow your faith. And this is something I emphasize in almost every message because it's a core thought of what I preach. You must, you must, you must. Number two, you must receive the word. I can't say this to you enough, church. You've heard me say it. You've heard other ministers here say it. Now it's time to live it. If you're not getting in the word daily, and I mean daily, you will not be here in two or three years. You will not be here in four or five years. I'm telling you right now, the, the, the essence of your spiritual growth is based upon how you receive the word. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ now in Romans 10:17 this particular verse is not talking about the bible as we know it it's talking about the message of salvation and that when you hear the message of salvation it produces faith unto salvation but we can still take this principle and that is simply this that the word of god produces faith for what it promises the word of god produces faith for what it promises. The Word of God is your spiritual sustenance. Faith resides in your spirit, and your spirit is strengthened by the Word. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to get in the Word. I'm telling you this right now, some of you invest more time, and I know it's cliche to say, but it's true, it's true. I mean, just open your phone, and your phone will tell you how much time you've spent on Instagram. Pastor Isaac, what were you telling me? It was it was an article you read. How many times somebody touches their phone a day? Say again. Twenty five hundred times a day. Twenty five hundred times a day, the average user. That's the average user, and they probably lied on those surveys. Don't tell me you don't have time for the word when you're caught up on your latest Netflix series. Don't tell me you don't have time for the word when you've watched four hours of YouTube. Don't tell me you don't have time for the word when you've engaged in social media half of the day. You have time. It's a matter of discipline and recognizing I need the word. And and this is why the enemy fights you so hard to keep you from the word. Because it's your first offense in the spirit. Once the word goes, everything else is his. Think about what he did with Adam and Eve. What was the first thing the enemy did when he tempted Eve? He contradicted the word. And because he contradicted the word, Eve was deceived into falling into sin and paradise was lost. What do we lose every day because of what we don't know? Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Are you bound? Then there's a truth you don't know yet. Let me say that again. Jesus said you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. It will liberate you. It will break that bondage. If you're still bound, there's a truth you don't know. There's a truth that the enemy's keeping hidden from you. And if you will get in the word if you will commit yourself to daily devotion to the Word of God, eventually you'll find that truth. And when you find that truth, that bondage will break off of your life and you will experience growth in the Spirit. But you have to get in the Word. I could preach three hours on how you have to get in the Word. No more excuses. Stop saying tomorrow. Stop saying next week. It's time to get in the Word of God. If you're a Christian, you should be in the word. That was one of the marks of the true disciples of the early church. They might not even consider you a Christian. Got quiet again, but I'll say it again. They might not even consider you a Christian, a believer. You don't read the word. It's like saying I'm a doctor, but I never went to medical school. I'm a police officer, but I never went through training. I'm a Marine, but I never went through the boot camps. I, I, I just, I, you claim it, but if, if that really is who you are, I'm gonna challenge you a little bit. If that really is who you are, you really are a believer. You really are a disciple of Christ. How are you not in the word? How is that possible? Every Christian, not just preachers, every Christian, every believer should know this word better than they know anything else. It should be the center, the, 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 the primary discipline in your life. That's how important the word is. We'll move on. The Holy Spirit will convict now. Number one, you endure trials. Number two, you receive the word. Number three, pray in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 4 says, A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 14, the Bible says that the one who prays in tongues... They're praying in their spirit. When I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, the scripture says. Now you may say, well, doesn't the Bible say that not every believer will speak in tongues? I'm glad you asked. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the apostle lists nine gifts that are used for the public benefit of others in church. Now notice that in that particular verse, when Paul is talking about speaking in tongues, He's talking about the expression of the gift that benefits the church around them. But this cannot be what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 and verse 4, because 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 and 4 makes it clear that the gift of tongues is to help you grow personally. So it cannot be the same expression. Why would Paul the Apostle say, I would that you all prayed in tongues? First of all, why would Paul the Apostle wish for something that was contrary to the word of God? And why would the Holy Spirit allow for that wish if it was contradicting the word of God be written in the scripture? Consider also the fact that in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and he says, This promise that you now see and hear is for you and all who are afar off and anyone who will believe. What did they see? They saw the Holy Spirit falling. What did they hear? They heard them speaking in tongues. He said, that which you hear is for all who are afar off. Everyone who shall believe. When the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell, it says the Holy Spirit fell, and they all began to speak in tongues. And they all began to speak in tongues. More than once and more than one occasion, they all began to speak in tongues. So if you're talking about that one verse in the Bible... In First Corinthians chapter twelve, and by the way, he says, "Do all speak in tongues?" Not nobody can pray in tongues. He didn't say should all. He said, "Do all pray in tongues?" And if that's the case, why not treat the rest of the gifts listed there the same way we treat the gift of tongues? Well, only some people have the gift of healing. So if you're in the hospital, you can't believe to be healed. We don't say that. We we don't, we don't apply that to every other gift that's listed. Instead, we do this because we're uncomfortable with something that's actually biblical. And whenever you're uncomfortable with something that's actually biblical, you're left with a choice. Do I try to fit my worldview into the scripture or do I take the scripture and let it transform my view? We have bought into this lie that speaking in tongues is not for every believer. We have bought into this lie that speaking in tongues shouldn't be done in public. Well, didn't he say that that we shouldn't? No, he said it'll be a sign to the unbelievers. How is it supposed to be a sign to the unbelievers if it's something you do privately? And why would the Holy Spirit pour out a gift publicly that was meant for private use? You never once saw in any of the instances in the book of Acts, you never once see where God comes down when they're all praying in tongues and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they all began to pray in tongues. Peter didn't stand up and say, hold on, everyone. That's for private use. No, what happened in Acts chapter 2? Everybody came, they heard it, and they all got saved because that gift was demonstrated. There's so many things we believe about tongues that are just not scriptural, and it's because there's a group of people who don't like spiritual gifts because it offends their intellect. It offends what they think is, well, you're going to look silly. Yes, I'm going to look silly. I'm Pentecostal and proud of it. And and, and they'll say, "Well, well, you know, well, Brother David, you pray in tongues, and you're going to turn people off. This is why some churches, they get savvy, right? Well, we allow tongues, but we have a program where they do it in the back room. I never saw that in Scripture. I never saw that once. And they think they're getting savvy, and they're saying, well, you know, we don't want to offend the unbeliever. We don't want to turn them off to the gospel. I know why they're turned off to the gospel says so in John chapter 3, it says that light came into the world and they hid from the light because they hated the light and loved the darkness. It's not your speaking in tongues that turns people off, it's their love for sin. (laughs) And this is why we have to stop trying to do it our way and try to fit the culture and fit what's cool and fit what's relevant. And we have to start allowing the Holy Spirit to build his church the way he started it in the book of Acts. Guys, we believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. And, it, it, and on this, we cannot budge. There is no reason whatsoever why anyone should convince you that speak. Well, brother, the gifts have passed away. And I thought about that too. The gifts have passed away. Genesis to Revelation, God moving and interacting with man, performing miracle after miracle after miracle, and suddenly he picks some arbitrary spot on the timeline of human history and says, here's where I stop working. It doesn't make any sense to me, and it's up to the person who says that to show me in the Bible where it actually says anything close to the gifts having ceased. You won't find it. You'll find one verse that they use, and it says that, These things shall pass away. But then it goes on to say they shall pass away when we know all things even as God knows us. Now, I don't know anybody who knows all things as God knows us. Some of them might think they do. But the Bible actually teaches that the gifts cease not in this lifetime, but in eternity. In other words, why do you need to have prophecy which predicts the future when you live in a place where there's no time? Why would you need a gift of healing when there is no sickness in heaven? These are all the dynamics of the spiritual gifts that cease to work in eternity, not here and now. There's never been an instance in all of Scripture that even comes close to indicating that the spiritual gifts have ceased operating. Therefore, I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do. I'm going to do what the Scripture says is right. And I'm going to pray in tongues no matter who it offends, no matter who it bothers, no matter who it, you know, their intellect can be offended all we want. Now, of course, Paul talks about order, so don't stand up and start speaking in tongues in the middle of my message. But the point is, exercise the gift. God gave that to us. Leave it to the Lord to hide such power behind such a childlike act. And when I just pray in tongues, God does something in me? Absolutely. Pray in tongues. Do it like Uncle Ron says. At least 15 times a day. 15 minutes, is all you need. <laughs> Pastor Ron, if you're watching. I love you. And I dig I love you too. Okay, go to. <laughs> For those of you watching online, I, I can impersonate a lot of preachers, but we'll move on. <laughs> Number one, endure trials. Number two, receive the word. Number three, pray in tongues. Number four, fellowship with the faith filled. Isolation is the breeding ground of bad doctrine. Isolation is the breeding ground of pride. Isolation is the breeding ground of offense. Isolation is the breeding ground of weirdness. Ever get someone just get weird on you? It's isolation. We were not created to be in isolation. And and I don't mean isolate with your wife and kids. I mean, you think about that. People talk about, well, I'm not, I got my wife, I got my, my kids. No, 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 no. The Bible talks about connectivity because even a small group like that can become isolated. There's something about the power of connectivity that helps us to grow. Jude chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 say this. But you, dear friends, must build each other up. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. This is our responsibility. Watch this. But you, dear friends, must, you must do what? Build each other up in your most holy faith. That's on you. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you in eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It's our responsibility to build one another up in the faith. Isolation is lethal. I don't know how many times I've seen it where a husband gets really weird and critical of everything going on in the church. And then he isolates his family. I'm telling you this right now. Somebody just said that's me. <laughs> well, there's the altar right there. <laughs> I love the honesty. I don't know who said it, but I love it. But what happens is husband becomes weird. That guy did this. And then let me tell you this. Once you notice criticism start coming from your mouth, know that your heart has been compromised. I'm telling you, it's the first sign to you. You can't even hear a sermon. You can't sit in a service. You can't sit there without criticizing something. It's a sign to you that something has contaminated your faith. And what happens is the the, the husband who's the head of the household will cause isolation. Isolation. And it's a story I've seen, play. like I'm a pastor's kid. I've pretty much been in this my whole life. I've seen people isolate. I've even seen people rise to leadership ministry, pastors overseas, pastors in other nations, pastors across state lines, pastors in other cities. Even they are susceptible to the destructive power of isolation. That's why the enemy wants you critical. Because if the enemy can make you hypercritical, he can make you very uncomfortable around others. Hear me now, this is a warning from the Holy Spirit for some of you. The moment you become critical, understand that's not a prophetic gift. Understand that's not discernment. God did not say, I give you the gift of criticism. God did not say, I give you the gift of suspicion. He said, I give you the gift of discernment. See, you you think your suspicion is the Holy Spirit. You're mistaking your suspicion for the discernment of the Holy Spirit, which is always unto life, never unto death. And that hypercriticism isolates you from others. You need three types of impartation in your life if you're going to survive in the faith you heard it say, I don't need any man that teach me. That's 1 John 2.27. It's not talking about that you don't need fellowship. It says you don't need anybody to confirm your salvation to you. It's that inner knowing that 1 John 2.27 is talking about. But why would God say in Ephesians 4.11, here are some teachers, but you don't need anyone to teach you. Here, here Here are pastors, my gift to the church, pastors, but you don't really need pastors. Would God be inconsistent in that way? Very dangerous thing. You need three types of impartation. That's, you need to be, you need to have given impartation. This is where you're feeding into someone else's life. Say, who can I disciple? You can disciple anybody worse off than you. Anybody who's not doing as good as you, help them up. Because what happens is, remember when Jesus... And my time is running out here, but I'll I'll, I'll move this quickly. Remember when Jesus went to the woman at the well and the disciples came to bring him food. and He says, I don't need any food. This, This satisfied me doing the will of the Father. When you do God's will, it grows your faith. When you help someone grow in their faith, it becomes food to your spirit. This is where some people miss it. Well, I'm not growing there. Well, maybe if you went to serve instead of to be served, your, your faith would see the benefits of that. Number two, you need shared impartation. Do not neglect fellowship. This is what, these are all first markers, guys. You notice that, that when the enemy has you, start isolating. When you can't connect with anyone, making plans, dropping them, making plans, dropping them, making plans, dropping them, because of that discomfort in your own heart. That's an assault of the enemy. I'm telling you, I've seen this one too many times. You need that shared impartation. You need each other. And again, I'm not just, some of us, we make, well, I'm married, I have kids, and so that's my my accountability. Yeah, your seven-year-old's going to ask you how you're doing spiritually. Say well, my wife keeps me accountable. Yeah, but but who's keeping who's keeping the head accountable? And if you're not in a spiritual state that is proper, you won't even have her in good shape. You affect. Do you realize, man of God? You affect the whole household. The whole household. Number three: received impartation. We need someone over you. Now, this is an issue my generation really has an issue with. They don't like the idea of structure. You can place it. They don't like structure. Well, I don't like organized religion. I just want to go wander around the streets like a hippie and lay hands on people. You know, not even Jesus did that. You know, you know why I can talk against these things? Because a lot of these were my old mindsets that God had to break me out of before I saw real fruit in the ministry. I'm not against street preaching. I love it. I'm not against taking it outside the four walls of the church as that saying goes. But you know, there's a little bit of snobbery in that saying sometimes. Outside the four walls. You know, it's a little snobby. You know why? Because the implication is that what's happening inside the four walls isn't all that important. That's That's really the heart behind a lot of times when people say that. I know because, again, I'm coming from this. you got to realize a lot of the stuff I preach on is because God delivered me from mindsets. The reason I can address them so intricately is because they were in my mind and I was able to see them for myself. But, you know, spiritual headship, you talk about the fact that God has given us spiritual leaders. We don't like that. you got to talk to Him about it. Why would he give us spiritual leaders if we didn't need them? They cover your blind spots. A blind spot is just that. You would know it was something wrong on your own. There's no way you could. Fellowship with the faith field. Now, any one of these that I hit, I got three more to go, and I'm going to try to do it in a record time here. And then I want to pray for some people. But a lot of these guys... Any one of these seven is bound to convict someone and is bound to upset someone. You're talking about me, I know you are. I promise you, I'm talking about me. (laughs) One of these is gonna convict someone because these are all core points of spiritual growth. Number five, and I can go through these next few ones rather briefly because they're simpler. Number five, find clarity. Now, there was a major disagreement in the early church. And I know Pastor Rob could probably really delve into the details of this, where some of the Jews were saying, you have to be circumcised to be saved. And this was a big debate in, in the early church. So there was a lot of infighting. It was intense. It wasn't a perfect, you know, just because it was the early church doesn't mean they were perfect. In fact, people dropped dead in the early church. much more intense than it is now. And... It's interesting to me that it wasn't until after they clarified a matter that they were able to grow in faith. Watch this. Acts chapter 16. I'll be finishing about 5-10 minutes and then I want to pray for some people. Acts 16, 4-5. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles. In other words, they came to an agreement and everyone's now spreading this word. And elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Watch this now, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. They were strengthened in the faith after they found clarity on an issue. Now what am I saying here? How does this apply to everyday life? You would be amazed at what is causing confusion in your life. I'm going to tell you this and I don't want you to forget. If you hear anything I say tonight, hear this. If you're confused in any one area of your life It's because on one end or another, you're believing a lie. You may believe four wonderful truths and the fifth thing you believe might be a lie. But it's that one belief in the lie that causes confusion in everything else that you do. And until you address where that lie is coming from, the confusion will remain. You cannot grow in faith when you're confused because you don't know which direction to grow. Number six, keep your conscience clean. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You cannot grow in faith if you don't have a clean conscience. When you don't have a clean conscience, it takes your focus off of God and puts it on you. And you are not your source of spiritual growth. Number seven... Act on faith. So number one, endure trials. Number two, receive the word. Number three, pray in tongues. Number four, fellowship with the faith-filled. Number five, find clarity. Number six, keep your conscience clean. Number seven, act on faith. James chapter two. James chapter two, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, by faith itself isn't enough. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Obedience brings your faith to life. Obedience produces faith, and faith produces obedience. It's this never-ending cycle, a momentum that you gain when you begin to walk in obedience. Your faith is stirred, and that faith stirred helps you to obey in even greater measures. And this is the momentum that you gain in your walk with God. Do things that make you nervous. If where you are doesn't require faith, you're not in the will of God. What do I mean by that? I mean if your commitment level isn't so that you have to rely on God to keep it. If what you're reaching for doesn't make you a little nervous, then it means that it's all within your power to do. Take bold steps. There's a lot to be done here in this church. A lot of ministry to fill. A lot of opportunities available to you. People want to go to the nations of the world. Some can't even cross the street to come to church. We always imagine the big step. What about the next step? What about what's in front of you? What about what's right here, right now? The Bible says we go from glory to glory. I'm glad he didn't take me from glory all the way to glory. He takes me gradually from glory to glory. What is God challenging you to do? Because the moment you stop obeying, your faith begins to die. It's not exciting anymore, that's because you're not doing anything risky. Man of God, you realize you were created to build, and to conquer, and to expand, and to reach for more, and to challenge yourself, and to grow in strength, and in intellect, and in wisdom? Do you realize that it's your calling to aim for higher places? I really sense in the spirit to talk to the men today. Some might say, might say it's sexist, I say it's biblical. Men of God, what's the next step? Do you really feel satisfied where you are? Do you know why there's that quiet anger in you? Do you know why there's that sense of boredom and dread? You know why it's hard to get up in the morning? Because there's nothing before you. There's nothing to attain. There's nothing to reach for. Man of God, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, he gave him dominion. He gave him dominion to form and to shape and to create in this world. Man of God, he's the king of kings. You're supposed to be a king. You're supposed to rule. You're supposed to have authority and dominion. God wants you to take nations, but first you gotta take the porn addiction. God wants you to take nations, but first you gotta take your marriage. God wants you to take nations, but first you gotta take on fatherhood. There are things before you that God is calling you to. God is calling you to higher places. And that anger, that quiet anger, that dissatisfaction with life comes because you've not connected with your Creator who gives you ultimate purpose and power in life. Do you know what power is? Man of God, do you know what power is? Power is competence. Power is competence. It's not anger. It's not abuse it's not control power is competence and when you walk this walk of faith there's a spiritual competence that comes in life God wants to challenge men to become competent men responsible men it's getting so quiet in here that's how I know I'm right on where I need to be man of God this first call is for you I know the women don't fill out. You you left out. You've been praying for this. Man of God, you say, I need to to take that challenge. I need to grow to higher places. I I don't know if you've forgotten, but this movement we're a part of is a church planting movement. I, I feel like sometimes we lose that thought and you imagine that you're just going to come here Sunday after Sunday attend the church enjoy your, your fun go out and do whatever hobbies it is you do watch your sports you know I, I look down on sports I'm just kidding it's just because I don't understand what's going on we have our distractions our entertainment man of God what about your full potential in him I want to challenge you now. You're a man of God in this place. Something challenged you in this message. Don't hold back, don't hold back. Humble yourself. Stand up and get down to this altar. Stand up and come stand at this altar. Stand at the altar. God is looking for surrendered men. I don't know why the Holy Spirit just took it in this direction. I had a general message on faith and growing faith. And the Holy Spirit just took it in a different direction. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.